a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Look, I know you come here to find out a little bit about what's going on in the world, hopefully without becoming overwhelmed or depressed, because <laughs> frankly, a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world right now is, uh, to put it mildly, just a little bit crazy. Sometimes it feels like uh, reality is being inverted on almost every front. And yet, uh, I'm, I just have this sense, and maybe you have this too, that uh, you and I have a role to play. There's something in the grand scheme of things where you and I are expected to stand up and play not just, you know, a supporting role, but a, an essential role in bringing light to a world that is darkening by the minute. And it's hard. I'm not going to pretend like, well, and it's just great and everything is sunshine and roses from that point on, because it's not. It's, it's difficult, as, as we're finding out. But if you have that sense of that stirring of purpose or mission in your heart, you have found the right place. So come. Walk with me as we revel in wrong think. By the way, I've got some great sponsors who make it possible to do this on a daily basis. They include garagedoorproservices.com, lifesavingfood.com, monticellocollege.org, and also hslammo.com. Thought I'd start today by asking you the question, do you ever get the sense that everything you were raised to value is somehow under attack? Kind of feels like it, doesn't it? I've got, a, I've got a terrific article here from Brian Bumbalo. This is from AmericanThinker.com. And it's uh, called Conservatives Defend Their Mountaintop. Now, please don't get caught up in the label so much here, but listen to what he's saying and tell me if you don't feel like perhaps this is something playing out before us. He says, we can hear the battle cry of the progressive left soldiers standing on the hills, mocking our way of life. They yell for unlimited abortion restricting free speech, limiting the Second Amendment, eliminating capitalism, open borders, a secular society, and a whole list of other insanities. And while, although many of us don't understand why any American would defend these hills, we're at least aware of the tactics and lawless means by which they'll defend each mound of polluted soil. Now, Brian Bombalo says, Rational people of faith understand the moral and practical implications of allowing such hills to spread and flourish. These toxic fungi-covered hills are in stark contrast to Purple Mountain's majesties above the fruited plain. We don't have to be mycologists to understand the danger of this fungus. We already know who the progressive leftists are and their diabolical intentions. But he says, I don't believe this is the case in their understanding of freedom-loving Americans. So while they're ranting and raving on the hills, we are uniting on a single mountaintop defending our faith, family, and freedom. While their power comes from an ideology derived from man, we are strengthened by the word of Almighty God. And while they plot to purge us from our country, we are raising the flag and digging in. They see people who disagree with their progressive ideology as just ignorant, intolerant fascists. And while this makes for a passionate battle cry, until you actually face your enemy, it's nothing more than a temper tantrum. When the progressive left is eventually forced to face us, they will come to understand exactly who we are. 
even with the cover from the media and favorable prosecutorial discretion, the true character of all involved will be revealed. He says, our battle cry comes from the sound of brave men shivering in the cold, crossing the Delaware River in the dark of night during a winter storm. It comes from the sound of waves crashing on the beaches of Normandy. It comes from the sound of a gentle breeze blowing across Arlington National Cemetery. Our battle cry is let freedom ring. This clash of ideologies was inevitable, and the current political climate may prove to be the tipping point. Now, he says, although tensions are high, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not advocating for another civil war. This country has lost enough brave American patriots here and abroad. However, we do have a dilemma. The progressive left is confrontational and hell-bent on burning the Constitution and permanently transforming this nation. With no compromise in their rhetoric and actions, they are giving freedom-loving Americans no option but to stand up and defend a nation we love. A nation that has brought freedom, prosperity, and the belief that flawed men can embrace noble principles for the betterment of mankind. We all witnessed the crime, violence, and destruction perpetrated in U.S. cities during the 2020 riots. Since almost 70% of the American population lives in suburban or rural communities, most watch this anarchy from the safety of their living rooms. Others in the direct path of this destruction were forced to watch helplessly as their communities were set ablaze. Is it a coincidence that since 2000, the two years of record gun sales were in 2020 and 2021? That's not the action of a people who will go quietly into that good night. It appears to be the action, be the action of ordinary American citizens who want to protect their families, property, and way of life. Now, he says, I certainly will admit that the left's relentless attacks and indoctrination have brought this nation to a breaking point. However, if we are to believe that this country is inherently flawed and the current actions and positions of the progressive left are necessary to save the nation, how could only 29% of likely U.S. voters think that the country is headed in the right direction? Regardless, the time for analyzing polls and developing long-term strategic plans for either the preservation or transformation of this country has passed. The moment of truth is here. The progressive left has forced freedom-loving Americans on that mountaintop not only to preserve the founding of this country and our way of life, but to defend the honor of those brave men and women who gave everything to ensure our freedoms. So he says, to those standing on the hills, I ask you, what is your game plan? You do not understand who we are. So how do you ultimately expect to defeat us? Take a good look at the people standing on the mountaintop. If you for once got off those hills and traveled beyond the populated cities, you would understand who stands in your way. We know what it means to have the earth in our hands, to work long hours providing for our families, to come together as a community in time of need, to bow our heads and pray for God's grace. The the progressive left constantly dismisses and insults a large portion of the American people. White House advisor Keisha Lance Bottoms, during an MSNBC interview on the Sunday show with Jonathan Capehart, stated the following, There is a MAGA Republican agenda that gives no consideration to the rule of law. She says, I think it will be important for all of us who, who care about the United States to call out what we see. And what we see, again, with this MAGA Republican agenda, is an effort to disrupt our democracy. So much for bringing America together, uniting our people, and uniting our nation. 
Now, perhaps this dangerous rhetoric is the final phase in the progressives, progressive left's grand scheme to transform America. Convince one portion of America to hate the other and use governmental agencies to ensure that the odds are forever in your favor. Currently, we are in a dangerous game of tug of war. Each shift of mo- with each shift of momentum, those seeking victory desperately grasp the rope. We as a nation feel the tension and the burning as violence and crimes destroy our communities. Eventually, the t- this tug of war for the soul of the nation is going to come to an end. Now, currently, the playing field is not level. With cover from the media and a two-tier justice system, the progressive left does not have to play the, by the rules. We as a young nation have been in situations where the odds were stacked against us. But he says, I have faith that with God's grace, we the people will dig in and pull this nation to victory. Again, this is Brian Bumbalo from American Thinker and Thinker.com. I've got a link in the show notes to take you there. And I think he outlines pretty well. That's one of the big choices that all of us face is we have a choice in how we choose to react. And I've seen a number of calls lately. And by the way, I, I do agree with those who are saying, look, don't take the bait. The left has been trying well, since 2020. The riots that, that followed the death of George Floyd, that was all part of an attempt to try to goad people on the political right into engaging in violence or lashing out in violence against the left. So as soon as we, you know, someone does respond with violence, well, look, see, this is exactly what we were talking about. This is why we have to stop the MAGA Republicans. And by the way, you may not consider yourself a MAGA Republican. I don't, I don't consider myself a bearer of that banner, but the left certainly considers me part of that. And they're willing to strip me of all of my liberties and, you know, to put me in camps if necessary <laughs> to, uh, to, uh, to deal with it. Why? Because I will not go along with their agenda and I will not allow myself to be subjugated. I won't allow it for my kids or for my grandkids either. I will resist them. Therefore, if you're not a far leftist, well, then you must be on the far right. At least I think that's how, how their thinking goes. There's an aspect here that uh, Brian Bombalo brings up that I think is, is often overlooked. And, and this is not uh, the cry of the pacifist of, well, just, you know, bow your head and wait for, for the trouble to pass. I think there are some times, it's rare, but there are times where things that must be defended require defending even to the shedding of blood. And I don't look forward to something like that. And I don't anticipate it with the look of, yeah, that's going to be great. But by calling upon God to be our protector, I think we have a resource that is far greater than anything the left can bring to bear against us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Just want to give a shout out here to my friends at garagedoorproservices.com. Seth is a great guy. He's the owner of the business. He's, uh, he's also been very helpful, by the way, in, in uh, helping me to, uh, to do what I do. I found a lot of good advice. But listen, when it comes to garage doors, he's definitely the guy you want to talk to. And his staff goes the extra mile for their for their uh, uh, customers, whether you are in St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, or Colorado City, Arizona. It's a local company to southwestern Utah with uh, installation, service, and repair for garage doors, both residential as well as commercial. 
and their garage doors are made right here in America. So if you're thinking about uh, any of those items, you think you need installation, you need service, you need repair, go to garagedoorproservices.com or pick up the phone and call 435-525-2773. You know, it's strange how so many of us grew up with uh, out with unfettered access, I'm sorry, without unfettered access to sexually explicit material in our school libraries. Isn't that crazy? I don't know what it was. We, we must have really missed out as kids because we didn't have books teaching us, you know, how to, how to have gay sex or how to question whether, you know, we were born in the wrong body. But, you know, there's a full-scale movement going on right now that's pushing to have this kind of content available in kids' libraries or to be taught in the classroom to kids. I've got an article here from Jay Green. This was published on intellectualtakeout.org. And Jay explains the question of who decides what children read is way more important than we think. He says, in a country that protects and praises personal liberty, few charges are more loaded than to call people censors or book banners. Those are fighting words. Unfortunately, the American Library Association and PEN America, an advocacy group for literary authors, are casually hurling that, that accusation against school leaders and parent organizations across the country without any concern for whether the charges are reasonable or factually accurate. The Library Association and Penn think they can slander others as book banners to bully them into acquiescing to their organization's preferences, rather than engaging in democratic debate or policy discussions about what books should be required of students and made available to children in school libraries. Now, there are many places around the world in which large numbers of books are truly banned. So, in Iran, for instance... Hundreds of books are legally prohibited, including classic works of literature and philosophy. As the Los Angeles Times describes these bans, those who who publish, sell, or distribute banned books face arrest and imprisonment if caught. No one involved in the debate over which books should be required in school curriculums or available in school libraries is advocating banning books, since no one is suggesting that the producers, distributors, or owners of books be arrested or punished. Rather, the earnest and essential debate about which books are appropriate for children of different ages is about, rather, which books are appropriate for kids of different ages, which works have enduring cultural or educational value, and the process by which those decisions should be made in tens of thousands of diverse U.S. schools and districts, which operate under state and local control. Jay Green says the Library Association and Penn think that classroom teachers and school librarians should make those decisions unilaterally and unaccountably, while parent groups simply want greater public oversight and parental input into these decisions as law and tradition have long allowed and generally encourage. If we adopt the expansive view of book banning as not having a work physically present in a school library, then we are all book banners. One hopes that the American Library Association and Penn would agree that Hustler magazine would not be an appropriate periodical to circulate to children. Neither is the decision by most schools not to carry uh, Donald Trump's The Art of the Deal necessarily evidence of book banning. Resources and space are finite, so there has to be some process for deciding which books are appropriate. If we define banned as not shelved or placed out of the immediate reach of children, well, then the vast majority of public published books, rather, have been banned. If we count only works included in official school curriculums, then only a few hundred works in all of human history could be said to be approved. 
He says the Library Association adopts an even more expansive definition of banned books, including as, in, as including any works that are merely challenged by parents, administrators, or public officials. A characterization that ironically displays a taste for censorship itself. This is like a politician who denounces any disagreement as treason. It's no more acceptable in a pluralistic society governed by representative democracy for elected officials to denounce those who disagree as traitors than it is for the American Library Association to denounce those who challenge the preferences of school librarians as book banners. Moreover, the charge works in reverse. Librarians are book banners themselves since they make decisions daily about which titles deserve shelf space. Penn seems to have adopted a slightly more restricted definition of book banning as works that are removed from or made inaccessible in school libraries or classroom curriculums. Now, the organization claims to have identified 1,648 titles that have been removed during the 2021-2022 school year. But a very quick examination reveals that many of those banned books continue to be available in the school libraries from which they've supposedly been removed. Just starting with the Indian River School District in Florida, which Penn claimed to be one of the most egregious censors with 161 books banned during the 2021-2022 school year, we quickly find that many of the removed books continue to be available in school libraries. For example, Penn identified a certain slant of light by Laura Whitcomb as banned in libraries in Indian River but it's nevertheless listed as available in the Sebastian River High School Library in that district. Penn says the book All American Boys was banned in libraries and classrooms in Indian River, but the district's libraries show they had carry seven copies of the book. See, and that's just beginning with the letter A, the titles that start with the letter A. According to the news reports, parents' groups raised concerns about 156 books in the school district's libraries, but only five were removed. One of those five that was removed was a collection of short stories called Girl to Girl, which the publisher describes as immersed into the minds and hearts of lesbian, bisexual, transgender, gay, queer, and questioning young people and intended for young adults, which does not describe those under 18 enrolled in Indian River schools. Now, the American Library Association, or Penn, may think its judgment is superior to that of parents and school administrators, and that girl-to-girl should be available in school libraries despite concerns about the work's appropriateness or merit. But it's unclear why everybody else should blithely accept their judgments. No one should accept the American Library Association and Penn calling those who refuse to follow their dictates without question book banners. And no one should tolerate how the Library Association and Penn inflate the claim of banning by counting books that are merely challenged or by falsely claiming that books have been removed from school libraries when they continue to be available. How we determine which books should be required reading and which should be available to children in school libraries is a complicated, is complicated rather, and it's a matter of dispute and sensible local control. By reducing that dispute to name-calling and bombastic edicts, the Library Association and Penn are doing more damage to the intellectual freedom and educational development of children than any parent group is. If the American Library Association and Penn really want to combat book banning, they could direct their attention to what's occurring in Iran. If they want to engage the democratic process in the United States in a constructive manner, they would be wise to adopt a less authoritarian approach. That's beautifully said. 
I'll have a link to this in the show notes, and I hope you'll check it out for yourself. This is, this is a question that is raging right now in my state where I live, Idaho. And, and the, the cries of book banners, book banners, everybody's a book banner. But you look about the books, look at the books that are being called into question. Okay, not outright banned, but just simply called into question. And somehow they all seem to fall into that. Hey, we're just trying to teach your kids about all the different exciting sexualities and practices and fetishes that they could be a part of. Well, you know, when you're an adult, those are the kind of decisions you get to make for yourself. As a parent, that's not the kind of crap I want people forcing on my kids or even suggesting or seducing my kids with. I'm the parent. I have the authority. And they don't. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm very happy to welcome Sarah Brady to the program. First heard of Sarah a couple of years ago when she was arrested for taking her kids to the playground. You didn't hear me wrong. This, I mean, she was at the playground, but this was during the, the COVID lockdowns and shutdowns and everybody was kind of, you know, tripping on authority. And, and Sarah, you found yourself in handcuffs. And, you know, that's, that's remarkable in and of itself. There were a lot of people getting tickets and getting arrested for really dumb reasons of uh, just, you know, the state flexing its authority. But you have, uh, you've been awaiting trial now for the better part, almost two and a half years. Where do you stand right now? Yeah, so Brian, thanks for having me. So currently where I stand now is um, there is another status hearing that's been set for October 20th at 1 p.m. And what after doing this for two and a half years, what I'm anticipating at that hearing, I'm anticipating that um, they'll actually set a trial date. Um, And that's making the assumption that after the judge heard the arguments on my case on September 20th in regards to a motion to dismiss on constitutional grounds, that's assuming that he's uh, not, uh, hasn't dismissed it. Because at this point, I haven't heard any word that he's uh, dismissed the case. So that's on the assumption that he's not going to dismiss the case and that we'll have the status hearing on the 20th. So unless something, you know, something else comes up between now and then, that we, I, I, I assume it's a status hearing uh, too, and then we'll discuss setting a trial date for the third time. Well, the state of Idaho keeping this thing alive for over two years. I mean, you must have done something very serious. You weren't parading, were you? Um, no. I mean, if you want to say going to a <laughs> playground with my children is parading, I guess maybe they do see it as that. But oh. you know, when you're just living your life and the government gets mad at you, I think there's a problem with that. Well, and, and this is the thing. You you have uh, been awaiting a trial for a long time. This has cost you tens of thousands of dollars out of your pocket to to address the criminal tra- And the charge is what? Trespass? Is, is that what they're charging you with? That's Yeah, that's correct. It's a misdemeanor trespass charge, um, which carries up to six months in jail and up to a $1,000 fine. And I've spent about $26,000 now on legal fees. And I just want to make it clear to the listeners the the trials being canceled were in no way any fault of my own. It's been the state of Idaho's court system who has twice now canceled um, trials. One of those being back in the last one being back in August of 21, a week and a half before it was set to kick off. And, and, and I believe the, the excuse they gave at the time was, well, concerns over, you know, COVID, another wave, Omicron or whatever. But 
that still seems like an unusually long time to, to drag things out. I mean, justice, we know it takes time, but really two and a half years for, for something this minor? I can't imagine. Well, I wouldn't say that this justice at this point. I think um, what the state of Idaho has done, at least in regards to violating my right to a speedy trial, even my attempting to get to a trial, and this is past the past the speedy trial point. The two trials were set in uh, the year of 21. And for me to pay so much money, I really think the true injustice here is the fact that I have not been allowed to go to my trials, have been prevented. And then the fact that they still are continuing it on at this point, this is so punitive. It's way more punitive. I and mean, we're not talking, I'm not a rapist. I'm not a pedophile. I'm not a murderer. And at the end of the day, I didn't even trespass because that the area I was standing had never been cordoned off with caution tape. So I think at this point, you know, it really, the, the true injustice here is the fact that they are continuing to perpetuate this um, just punitive prosecution on me for the last two and a half years. But at the end of the day, you know, my, um, this is my innocence at stake here, right? And I, I, I want to have the ability to go um, to trial. But again, I feel like, and I said this before, I feel like the state of Idaho, the court system has become kind of the runaway bride. And so I've gone, I feel like I've bought a dress and I've tried to have, you know, tried to go to the wedding two times and it's been canceled out from underneath me. You know, I'm not refunded any of those fees that I've paid. And so, you know, when, if, if we go to set this trial again on October 20th, another date's brought up, it's going to be really hard for me. You know, this is almost like a forced a forced marriage that I'm forced to pay for that nobody will show up to. Right. And so wow. I just, it's just, it's just really horrible. It really is just horrible, way more horrible than a woman who was at a playground with her kids standing on wood chips. I don't even know how we could compare the two. And it, it's like you had mentioned, the process seems to be the punishment, you know, in and of itself, let alone if, if you could get before a jury, I have no doubt that uh, at least one and probably much more than one juror would be like, why are we even here? Not guilty. I, I'm sure they would would acquit or, you know, it only takes one to hang the jury and, and then, you know, mistrial and the state has to decide, well, is this important enough? Do we do it again? So right. has the state given any justification? Have they communicated to you why they are willing to keep it alive after all this time? You know, um, they have not. The, the, um, the only thing that's really been on the table for them, at least in regards to the case beyond what we've done in court, was I was offered a, a plea deal um, back in January of this year. And if I pled guilty, I had that was the stipulation, though I have to plead guilty. I have to say that I'm guilty. If I say that I'm guilty, they will knock it down from a misdemeanor to an infraction, and I just have to pay a $50 fine. But, they, but the thing is, is at the end of the day, like my innocence is worth way more to me than $50. And, and, and seeing as I've already spent $25,000, it's almost like a slap in the face. It's just really the fact that they cannot look at this and say, wow, this woman has done her best. We have we have prevented her. We have stopped her. We have canceled two trials. We need to acknowledge at this point that we are in the wrong. We are wrong, and because we were in the wrong, not once but twice. And then all that we know now about the, 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 the everything that we know now about COVID, right? To do the right thing would be dismiss this case or drop the charges. That would be the right thing to do in this case, simply because what they're doing is way more wicked, way more wicked than me taking my kids. To playground, standing on wood chips and redressing my grievances with an officer. Exactly. No, and I have to ask you this, Sarah, who is the one who makes this decision? Whose choice is it to keep this ball rolling? Well, ultimately, it's Attorney General uh, Lawrence Wazen, who's a Republican, right? That's ultimately, that's what my paperwork says. He has full control of this case. And um, it's up to him uh, to be able to, you know, to, to let it go. And so I'm actually a little bit baffled 
how we can be in what we what we assume is a primarily Republican state, right? Idaho should be one of the most conservative, if not the most conservative state in the nation. And I have, um, uh, you know, leaders who are, you know, actively part of my prosecution, right? Republican leaders. And then we also have Republican leaders that are just completely silent on this. I true. I think if I was in Florida, DeSantis would say, leave this woman alone. This is total abuse of the state you know, dismiss and drop the charges. That's what I think would happen. But, you know, obviously, and I've said this before, COVID has brought out the true colors of our, you know, Republican rhino leaders. Yeah, it turns out that uh, there is Republican-flavored authoritarianism just as much as there's left-wing authoritarianism. <laughs> um, talk to me about how can people help? I know that I know there are a lot of people who are sympathetic. There are a lot of people, too, that are just piling on, oh, Sarah, you deserve whatever you get. But for the ones who want to help, there are avenues by which they can help you, either through moral support or, better still, send a th- uh, throw a few shekels your way and, and help you with, with some of these costs. How can they do that? Yeah, so I have a website that's freesarahbrady.com, and that's Sarah with an H, so free, F-R-E-E, Sarah, S-A-R-A, Brady, B-R-A-D-Y.com, and you can go on there, and there's a link there for a give, send, go. And I also have a GoFundMe out there, but yeah, right now at this point, I'm actually just mentally and emotionally trying to gear up for another costly process of getting ready for a third trial, which I hope this time I'm actually able to face my accuser in court over standing on witches. But yeah, I mean, I'm so thankful for the help I've received so far. I, I, I would not be, I would not have been able to go as far as I have been able to go without the support of my many friends and family um, in freedom. I really wouldn't be able to do it. So thank you. Sarah, I've heard you mentioned before, um, you are not, or you traditionally have not been the kind of person who would go out there and try to seek attention. In fact, when you were there at the park, you weren't there for the purpose of, ah, let's have a protest and I'll draw attention to myself. You were just there with your kids. But now that you found yourself in the spotlight, if the the apparatus, the the state and all of its machinery wanted you to wilt, I think they just got a really unwelcome surprise. You've kind of turned into a, uh, a firebrand. I mean, you, you become a lot more outspoken, a lot stronger in what you're doing. Tell me something positive you've learned about yourself as a result of the injustice that's being done to you. Well, you know, that, that's an interesting question you would ask me because just the other day I, I actually told someone, they said, how are you? And I said, you know what I feel like I've been, I've been doing this so long, right? We're talking two and a half years. You know, when I look back over two and a half years, like, how, how am I in a country? How am I in a, in the state of Idaho where this has continued to happen? Right. So just, it, just the awe of that A, it's happening. B, I've almost now gotten kind of a runner's high. You know, when you've been running for so long, I, I actually never run this, you know, in, in real life, but you talk, the people talk about the runner's high. Well, now I feel like the state, and I actually have to thank the state of Idaho. State of Idaho, I want to thank you for going after me for this long because it's actually made me stronger. It has. I have blossomed as a result of the constant pressure. It's what, you know, it's the refiner's fire. It's when you get put under so much pressure, you're either going to break or you grow. And I, I was able to grow. And so I'm honestly really uh, in that sense, grateful for. I'm not grateful that the state of Idaho is making poor choices in regards to its citizen. Um, but I'm also, I think it's a good thing that they're exposing their colors because you don't really know what's happening until someone speaks up. Sarah, I appreciate you coming on my show today. I appreciate your example. And I want you to know your courage is courageous. Tell, tell us again, what's the website where people can, can go to find out more about you and help you? Yeah, freesarahbrady.com. That's freesarahbrady.com. All right, I'll have a link to that in my show notes. Thank you so much. God bless. And I'm looking forward to hearing an update come mid-October. 
That's right. Thank you. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right. Welcome back to the show. Hey, it's the last day of September, last day to take advantage of a 30% discount that you can get through lifesavingfood.com. You might also want to click on the hslammo.com link I provided in my show notes. Get yourself stocked up on ammo so you can go out and practice at the range and develop your skill at arms or maybe just stock up on ammo for a little uh, ballistic wampum to keep around for a rainy day, you know, in case you want to trade it for something else. So, a couple things I want to touch on here in the last few moments of the show. I include in today's show notes an excellent article from J.B. Shirk from AmericanThinker.com about why gun rights make for good manners and safe nations. You know, I've been accused of, Brian, you're a one-note symphony when it comes to guns. And and you know what? I I am in the sense that I believe that that right to self-defense is absolutely essential. And I say that based on the idea that when you look at, historically, the greatest mass murders ever carried out in history were carried out not by people with, with guns, not by civilians with guns, but by governments who restricted the right of their citizens to own guns, particularly the targeted groups that they wanted to go after. And then once those groups had been disarmed by law, they murdered them with impunity. Whether it's the Turks killing the Armenians, whether it's, you know, genocide in Guatemala or Ethiopia or Pol Pot's Khmer Rouge killing millions of Cambodians or, you know, the big players, Mao, Stalin, Hitler. They all used gun control. They all did it by law to first disarm the the targeted populace. So to say, well, gun control causes genocide, that's not exactly true. But it is true to say that genocide can't happen where there is an armed populace. So take a look at that article. I think you'll find it well with your time. Also, um, got a dandy article here from Brandon Smith from alt-market.us. This is a great one in the sense that, you know, I don't know if you saw the Italian prime minister who was elected earlier this week. I'm sorry, her name does not, it's not yet a household word for us. So um, she really makes a very principled stand against, you know, the World Economic Forum types and the globalists who apparently so many of our leaders in Washington, D.C. are enthralled with. But the the point here is that recently elected prime minister and her non-globalist stance shows that the pushback against the Great Reset is going mainstream. And that's, that's good, right? That's encouraging. Well, good, somebody's finally pushing back and standing up. It also represents a time for great caution and staying extremely aware of what's going on around us. As Brandon Smith says, with anti-globalism going mainstream, you can be guaranteed another engineered disaster is about to strike. And by the way, by the way a lot of the indicators are it's a climate disaster. That's the next crisis. We had COVID and it worked pretty good at shutting everybody down and finding out who's going to comply and who isn't. Climate's the next one. We just had a major hurricane devastate much of uh, Florida's uh, west coast. Well, we'll uh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. But they're definitely talking the language. I want to spend a little bit of time on the January sixth show trials. 
you notice that they're being extended, and I think they actually canceled one of the hearings that was supposed to take place this week. I guess they're worried about being upstaged by a hurricane. Oh, what a shame. What a shame. But these show trials are intended to set the stage for delegitimization and criminalization of political dissent. And Jack Cashel has an excellent take on why Ray Epps matters. He says, for those who don't know who Ray Epps is and why he matters, and this includes most Democrats and many journalists, U.S. Representative Paul Gosar from Arizona served up a handy reference guide last week. He did this in the form of a Resolution of Inquiry, or ROI, directing Attorney General Merrick Garland to hand over all documents relevant to the Epps case within 14 days. Multiple videos show Ray Epps repeatedly urging crowds of people in Washington, D.C., both on January 5th and January 6th of 2021, to go to the United States Capitol and breach the building, Gosar explained. Epps is the one person seen on video directing people towards the Capitol seconds before violence broke out. Yet he has never been arrested or charged with any crime, while more than 800 others have and countless more remain jailed. Now, during a House Judiciary Committee hearing on Wednesday of last week, Representative Thomas Massey went into more detail, showing numerous video clips and citing Epps' own admission captured on video, I'll probably go to jail for this, I'll probably be arrested. Now, Epps had good reason to worry. In his red Trump hat and camo gear, a head taller than those around him, Epps was the most conspicuous of all the January 6th protesters. In fact, he was the only one caught on camera urging others to go into the Capitol, which he did repeatedly on January 5th. So suspicious was his behavior that his fellow protesters chanted, no, 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 and fed, 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 over one of his many exhortations. One video from January 6th shows Epps telling a protester, when we go in, leave this here, we don't need to get shot. Now, the unseen this was likely a weapon, perhaps a gun. More damning still, another video captures Epps whispering into the ear of a protester seconds before the young man helped make the first breach of the Capitol Capitol Police's inept defenses. Epps certainly caught the attention of the FBI. Early on, the Bureau posted a video and photo of Epps, number 16 on the FBI hit list under the rubric, Seeking Information, Violence at the United States Capitol. The New York Times noticed it too. Its producers featured the January 5th clip of Epps urging protesters to go into the Capitol. In its own July 2021 video, Day of Rage, How Trump Supporters Took the U.S. Capitol. More than 8 million people have seen Epps in action on that video. Later in July 2021, however, the FBI quietly removed Epps from its most wanted list. He was not arrested, never spent a night in jail. The failure of the FBI to arrest the most conspicuous ringleader of the Capitol breach has naturally heightened suspicions that Epps, and likely others, were either federal agents or assets. Now, the journalists, in quotation marks, at the New York Times did not share those suspicions. In fact, in July of 2022, in an article destined for the Walter Durante wing of the Grey Lady's archives, Times reporter Alan Fuhr lamented the fate of this seeming MAGA extremist. Epps has suffered enormously in the past 10 months, wrote Fuhr, as right-wing media figures and Republican politicians have baselessly described him as a covert government agent who helped to instigate the attack on the Capitol last year. Baselessly? The fact that the Times would shred its remaining credibility to defend this man suggests just how much Epps matters. As a point of reference, He matters much the way that Alger Hiss did more than 70 years ago. 
In August 1948, former communist Whitaker Chambers testified before the House Un-American Activities Committee that Hiss, a State Department advisor to President Franklin Roosevelt, was a Soviet asset. Once Hiss was accused, the establishment media and Democratic Party rushed to his defense. To acknowledge his guilt was to accept the accusations by the Republicans on the the, uh, House Un-American Activities Committee. A young Richard Nixon, most prominently among them, that Soviet agents had penetrated deep into the Roosevelt and Harry Truman administrations. Hiss had to be defended at all costs. Now, for comparable reasons, the media and Democrats feel compelled to defend Ray Epps. To acknowledge that Epps was a government asset is to acknowledge that he and others like him infiltrated the January 6th protest and spurred it to violence. Like Hiss, Epps has come to bear the weight of a powerful narrative. That narrative includes the notion floated at the hearing by Representative Mondaire Jones that a Capitol Hill police officer was bludgeoned to death on January 6th. Now, if Jones believes a falsehood of this consequence, most Democrats probably do as well. The vehemence of the Democrats' opposition to Gozar's resolution shows just how desperate they are to preserve their version of events at least through the elections in November. No one on the committee matched Representative Jamie Raskin for the sheer venom of his attacks. Raskin, who also serves on the January 6th committee, denounced his GOP colleagues for their absurd whining about Ray Epps, which has nothing, who has nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with any of it. To distract from the simple request at hand, namely to see the Justice Department's documentation on Epps and other government assets, Raskin turned his fury on Donald Trump and anyone who supported him, the autocrats, the kleptocrats, the bullies, the tyrants and despots. Now to his credit, Massey kept his cool. He understood what was at stake. For more than a year, Republicans on the Judiciary Committee have been pressing the FBI and Justice Department officials for information relevant to Epps. They've been stonewalled at every turn. Massey protested, you're not going to memory hole this. There were cameras everywhere. You can create your own thesis for what happened, but if your thesis is in contradiction with things that hundreds of millions can observe and no one disputes, you have to resolve this. So, as Raskin must expect, if the Epps conspiracy theory blows up, every other accusation that the left has dismissed as a conspiracy theory, including the big lie itself, will come under scrutiny. Now, to no one's surprise, the House Judiciary Committee rejected Gozar's resolution. To protect their fantasies and to preserve their power, the Democrats on the committee really had no other option. But hey, at least you and I know the truth, right? Thanks again for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. This is The Brian Hyde Show.